It's a cool song. It's a very cool refrain. But if if we really get what God's holiness is and we really believe in that, singing him a song doesn't really cut it. Our response needs to be a whole lot more than singing him a song passionately. Our life needs to be very different. I want to talk about a different life tonight. My name is Clay. And uh, hi. And my prayer is really that God speaks now and that his word is what you hear. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders defines dissociative identity disorder as the presence of two or more distinct identities or personality states that recurrently take control of behavior. You might have heard of the terms split personality or multiple personality disorder. This is, this is what it is. Uh, if you've seen Jim Carrey's uh, Me, Myself and Irene, which I suggest you don't watch if you haven't, that's, that's what it is. If we actually knew someone who suffered from this bizarre and tragic mental illness, no doubt we would recognize them as seriously insane and we would make sure we were never left alone with them in case one of their crazy alters came out and tried to kill us. The simple fact is, though, that we suffer from a form of dissociative identity disorder, but not in a psychological sense, but in a spiritual one. For locked within us, we have two identities, our corrupt, sinful self and our redeemed, sanctified self. And these two fight away within us to dominate and determine how we will live. On a good day, our redeemed self wins and Christ's light shines from us. But on a bad day, the dark parts of us come to the fore. The evil within us comes to the surface. Most days it's a bit of both. Jesus says in Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so the battle rages within us. Does anyone think they might have a little bit of that going on inside? I know I do. The Apostle Paul did too. He said in Romans 7, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law, law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is also at work. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. He's saved. 
Can you identify with that tonight? I know I can. There is a great conflict within us. The battle between two natures. And one of them has to go. One of them has to die. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. So please, if you have the word with you, turn to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read quite a bit of this, so I um, would encourage you to, to turn with me if, uh, if you have the scriptures. Romans chapter 6, from verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a re resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. That is good scripture right there. There's a lot in there. Just truth bomb after truth bomb that we need to grab. And we get, I think, some of it quite easily. We get the saved from sin... Uh, I think quite easily. We get the concept that Jesus died on the cross so I don't have to go to hell anymore. But this passage only really touches on that. What Paul is trying to hammer home now, paragraph after paragraph, is that there is a new life to be had. And this life that we live, a life that we live now, is free from the slavery of sin. And the church needs to hear this because there's a lot of saved people running around who still are living under the slavery of sin. Do you remember when you gave your heart to the Lord, as the saying goes? Can you think back to that day or that night when you said those magic words? Do you remember the prayer that you prayed? 
Do you remember the vow that you made? I can actually remember that day. It was a long time ago now, but I can remember that. I can remember where I was. I can remember where I said. I can remember who was standing in front of me. Many of us would have confessed that we were sinners in need of God's forgiveness. And we would have prayed to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That sound about right? That kind of thing? Jesus, I'm quite sure, became your Savior that day. No doubt. But did you really make him your Lord? Because there is a difference. Jesus said that he will save us if we believe in him. If we have faith in him and what he's done, he will, he will save us. And we can make a decision right there and then. We can receive grace. It's amazing. We don't have to do anything. In fact, Ephesians 2 says that our salvation is based on nothing that we do. It's a free gift from God of grace. But that's very different to God being the Lord of our lives. Lordship is giving all authority over to him, that he will determine our path. He will determine what we do. How How many of us actually live like that? I want to. Jesus promised to save us from the eternal consequences of our sin if we confess our wrongdoing and put our faith in him. That's what we did that day. And that is an eternal transaction. John chapter ten twenty nine says that there is no one that can snatch us out of the Father's hand once he has us. But that's not what I'm talking about. You see, Jesus didn't die on a cross just to save us from hell. And I think for a lot of us, that's the mindset that we've had. And certainly, this comes through uh, our gospel preaching. I'm, I'm not looking to criticize anyone's preaching of the gospel, but I've heard the gospel shared so many times, and most of what I've heard is God will save you from hell. And so that is the faith that we lead people into, a God who saves people from hell. What we don't speak a lot about is what God has saved people for. God has saved us for a resurrected life, a new life, a life that is lived on this earth as well as the new earth to come. We're not just sitting here twiddling our thumbs until Jesus returns on a, on a big white horse. That's not the purpose of the church on this earth. He has given us a new life to live now. Now tonight, you may be saved. I might might be saved. But are we living the new life that Jesus died to give us? Romans 6 paints a picture. A picture of a cross and a picture of a grave. And in that picture, our sinful lives are nailed to the cross with Jesus. And as our sins are nailed there with him, the idea is that they are supposed to die there with him. Our sinful lives, which have condemned us to death, die there with him. 
or that's the way it's supposed to work. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead to a new life. He rose to a new purpose. He rose to glory. And that is God's plan for us too. That we would put our sinful nature to death and rise to a new God-centered life. And the big question for us tonight is, have we really put our old life to death? What is different in us now that we are following Jesus? Uh, do you find yourself to be more pure rather than lustful? Are you honest now? Are uh, you filled with compassion at the needs of others? Or do you still find yourself generally quite greedy, uh, judging of others, looking down on those in need? Are you forgiving or do you still harbour bitterness towards others? God has a dream. A dream that he would really like to see come to life. And you are in that dream. And in that dream, you are beautiful. You are whole. You are well. You are complete. You are perfect. And this is actually the way he sees you when he looks at you. He has this beautiful filter over his eyes that when he looks at you, he sees a reflection of Jesus on you. So he sees this beautiful picture. But this is a dream he would also like to see happen, not in that spiritual sense, but also in our reality here as well. In this dream... We have risen from the ashes of our old life to claim every spiritual blessing that he has for us. In this dream, we have opened our hearts and our minds wide to let the spirit of light shine in on us and expose all the darkness. And it's a beautiful dream. And sometimes I have that dream too. But what I have mostly failed to comprehend is that dream can come true. And it can start to come true now. I know that a lot of us are just waiting for when Jesus comes back, everything will be fixed then. He'll sort it all out then. And so we just get by doing whatever we've got to do between now and then. But that is not what his plan is for us. There's a reason why he left the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. There's a reason he left us his word. His word transforms our minds. His purpose, his plan for us is that we would have a transformed mind, that we would be redeemed and sanctified and equipped to do the work he has left the church to do. But that is a new life. And we can start to live that life now. But for a new life to rise from the dead... An old life has to die. The obstacle, I think, for so many of us in seeing complete victory over our sinful natures is that we, I don't know, we get very compassionate, it seems, over our poor old sinful self. And uh, even though our sinful self was done a death blow on the cross, we do everything we possibly can to keep it alive. 
we can't help ourselves. We, um, uh, we keep looking after it. We tend to it. We feed it. We bring it water. We put bandages on its wounds. We give it antibiotics so that it can't die. What am I talking about? We keep our sin alive by persisting to pursue it. We spend time with it. We encourage it. We spend time sitting in in dark environments which stimulate the rejuvenation and growth of our sinful nature. Our sin is like a fungus. It grows in the dark. And we keep turning the lights off. We, We walk into environments which stimulate the sinful carnal nature. We, we do this by justifying away the seriousness of our sin. We, if we give our mind time, our mind will find some very good arguments which diminish the seriousness of sin. It's not that bad. We can easily do that. We do this by twisting the compelling beauty of God's grace to us, allow us to live in rebellion. And then, you know, God's grace covers all sin. So it's okay that I sin. Actually, <laughs> the very start of, of Romans chapter 6 is speaking against this. If God's grace increases the more we sin, let's sin all the more. We twist grace to think that it's okay and that God's okay with it because the blood of Christ covers our sin. We do this by undervaluing the holiness of God. We water God's holiness down. We play God's holiness off against his other characteristics. We emphasize God's love. We emphasize his mercy. We uh, emphasize his, compa- his compassion and his grace. We lift those up to the top, uh, which is great, but we hide somewhere underneath there his holiness. <laughs> don't even know what it really means. And when we ignore it, it means we don't have to live like we belong to a holy God who despises sin. These attitudes and habits put our sinful natures on life support. And like a parasite, they inhibit our godly natures from growing into the godly maturity that he has destined us for. Living a resurrected life requires us to place ourselves in a different environment. We need to be where God has called us to be. We need to be in places which will nurture the God within us to grow and expand and truly be Lord. Being in the right place is often more important than we could ever imagine. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it it starts with this this interesting phrase. uh, uh, At the time when the the kings went off to war, David was up on the roof. Very interesting phrase. At the times when the king, at the time when the kings go off to war, uh, David was on the roof. At this time, King David was supposed to be off at war. He had a godly purpose on his life that he would, uh, he would take back the promised land from the pagan peoples, reclaim it for the Lord and for his people, 
And that meant war. He was supposed to be off doing that. That was the special purpose God had put on his life and equipped him for. King David killed the tens of thousands. Back then it was okay. But no, David was back at the palace with the women. And all their men were off fighting wars where he should have been. And David's alone with them up on the roof where the baths were. And so, of course, he was at the right place at the right time to come upon a beautiful woman bathing naked in a pool. David couldn't help himself. He fell to a temptation which led to adultery and murder. He killed one of his own men to cover up his adultery with this guy's wife. Now, we all have uh, a capacity to fall to temptation. David was not where he was supposed to be. And I can think of so many times in my life where I fell to a temptation that I didn't need to. But I was at the wrong place. A place I knew I shouldn't have been. And so that's why I think that little phrase is there in Second Samuel. God has a purpose for us. We need to be pursuing that and not wandering off doing whatever. Ephesians 5 says that we should be very careful then how we live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to dodginess. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I was uh, preached that verse early in my teenage life, uh, teaching me that alcohol is evil. Uh, I don't believe alcohol is evil. I don't think Paul's talking about booze here either. In fact, uh, later on in Timothy, he says that Timothy should be drinking wine on a regular basis. What this is about, though, is putting yourself in a place which can lead to something you don't want to do. Paul is warning that drinking too much may lead to temptations that we will not have the self-control to resist. He encourages instead to spend our time in environments that will sanctify us and build up our faith. This passage is about feeding our spirits rather than feeding our spiritual natures. And that is something I think we'd all do well to examine is what are we feeding in our life? Are we feeding and keeping alive the old life that we kind of want to die? Or are we feeding the new life that Jesus has raised us for? For some of us, some of us do probably need to spend a bit less time at the pub. That might be the case. Some of us need to exercise more control over what we watch on TV. Or some more self-control over our browsing habits online. Some of us need to 
consider the, the people that we spend time with and the influence they might be having on us. Some of us need to exercise uh, greater control over our tongue and stop gossiping about others and even avoid relationships and conversations which bring that kind of thing out. In fact, that is something that we could apply across the board. I believe that we need to avoid things, avoid uh, experiences, um, even relationships that feed the evil in us, that bring out the worst in us, and try to spend as much time in environments which nurture spiritual growth. Until our faith, our self-control, and our dependence on God are strong enough to resist the temptations of this world, we need to protect ourselves from them and protect our hearts. I know I tried to live for all of my teenage years a double life. In youth group and church and Christian camps, I did them all, and when I was there, I said all the right things. I believed them, but I turned it on. I'd turn it off again when I went back to school, when I went to work. And I would be who I needed to be to fit in where I was. So even though I believed in the prayer I prayed to receive Christ, even though I believed in the songs that I sung, believed in the Bible studies that I led, I couldn't kill off the other life as well. And I held on to it because of my own lack of identity. My identity wasn't established in Jesus. I wasn't secure in who I was as his son. And so I did what I had to to please everyone. And you cannot serve two masters. A truth that took me many years to come to understand. So we need to protect ourselves. We need to protect our hearts. And I don't know what that means for you. And I certainly don't want any condemnation to come from this. And you might not know what this means for you either. But God can show you. In Psalm 139, it finishes with this from David. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God knows you. He sees everything you do. He reads your mail. He reads your thoughts. He knows what's going on. And he's not up there judging you. What he wants to do is lead you to a better life. Lead me to the way everlasting. We can pray that too. We can pray this. Show me what is dark in me, Lord. Show me what is corrupt. Show me what needs to die and help me to kill it, Lord. And lead me into this life, this glorious life. We need to confess our sin. And I don't mean in, in the way that I did when I was 13, when I said, yes, I'm a sinner. It was a very general kind of thing. 
but I, I don't, I'm not living a very general life of sin now. It's a very specific life of sin. There are specific things that I could name right now, and I'm sure that if you thought about it for a minute, you could think of a few things as well. My sin is very specific. There are specific things that drag me down. There are specific things that hold me back from the life God has called me to. And I want to see victory in those things. And the path to victory, I believe, starts with confession. Salvation starts with confession and recognizing that we need God. We need Jesus. And uh, we needed him in a very general sense to get into heaven. But we also need him in a very specific sense to see victory over these areas in our life. And so confession recognizes these things and puts them at the foot of the cross and says, this is what I need you on, Lord. This is the darkness in me. I confess it. I rebuke it. I receive your forgiveness for it. And I'm done with it. Lead me in the way everlasting. And God shines his sanctifying light on it. And the darkness flees. We need to let him lead us to what David described in Psalm 23 as green pastures beside quiet waters. Safe places. Places where he nurtures us and cares for us. Places where temptation is not banging down our door so much. Places where we can rebuild in the spirit. And lastly, we come to the encouraging revelation that it is not in our own strength that God expects us to overcome our sin natures. For the truth is that we can't. It is the Holy Spirit that nurtures self-control in us as we allow him to. It is the Holy Spirit who whispers in our ear to lead us away from temptation and provide a way out if only we would listen and follow. It is the Holy Spirit that purifies our hearts and cleans away the corruption. If only we wouldn't soak ourselves in the filth again. It is the Holy Spirit who is our teacher and reminds us of what he has spoken before. He reminds us of what's in the word. And that word continues to transform our minds as we allow it. Victory over our sinful natures and a truly resurrected life are found in a closer walk with the Holy Spirit. The darkness cannot abide the light. And the more we engage with the Spirit of light, the more we will come to reflect His light. The message of the cross this Easter is that Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross that we would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And the glorious truth is that we can have that life now. We need to start living it. Hmm. We need to start living it. I'd like to spend some time in um, a little bit of time in reflection tonight and a bit of time in prayer. Uh, I'd like to give 
got a chance to speak to us personally. And I would like us together to pray through some, some things. I would like to give you an opportunity to uh, work through some repentance. Um, I believe that some of us need to confess and repent of some things tonight. Uh, you know what from. We're not going to have a prophecy session to call out publicly your dirty laundry, but this is something for you to deal with God. Um, and I don't, I don't mean just saying, you know, I'm sorry, God, but I mean making a decision that it, that is not the life you're going to live anymore. Repentance is about turning away from what you were doing to go in a new direction. And so I want to encourage you to make some of those decisions tonight. Uh, that's something I'm going to do tonight. But I want to pray through a few things. And this is something that I think that we could pray over each other. So what I want to encourage you to do is actually uh, split into some groups, some people around you. Uh, and we could pray through these things. That we would grow to hate sin the way that God does that we would uh, recognize the darkness still in us and bring this before the Lord. Pray that we would have greater self-control to resist temptation, that we would immerse ourselves in environments that feed our spirits, that we would have a passion for righteousness and living the new life Jesus has given us and that we would step into a closer walk with His Spirit. That's a few different things, so pray as you feel the Spirit leading you. But... Um, I want to do this in groups because this is not just the journey as I've, I've spoken before. This is not just you and God. God brings us into community like this, that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we would walk forward together. It says in Galatians uh, chapter 6 that we would uh, carry each other's burdens, that we would help each other walk this stuff through. So um, I don't know, maybe you might feel like you need to confess something to someone else. But is that okay if we do that for a little bit? Is that okay? All right. I don't want to make you feel like you have to do anything that you don't want to do. That's not, that's not how we roll. But um, let's do that. Small groups. Let's pray for each other. And um, I'm going to use space at the front just to do some... Uh, some business with the Lord and work through some repentance. So Lord, just as we step into this time now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice as you just impress upon us, Lord, what you want to do in our life. And we claim the promise in Philippians chapter 1, Lord, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. We want to see a completed work, Lord, and we pray that you'd continue to work in us tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us to do everything, Lord, that we're praying for now, that we would see this victory realized in our lives, Lord, and that we'd better grasp the new life that you died for. So we just con continue in this space and commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.